0: John's Gospel, chapter 8. The title of this message tonight is The Significance of Christ Riding Upon the Ground. The Significance of Christ Riding Upon the Ground. So let's begin reading at verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you Let him first cast a stone at her. And I want you to notice this carefully. Verse 8. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst... When Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us now for these Moments that we have to study your word, that we would gather here, Lord, as the disciples often did when they didn't understand the reason of things, and they would ask you, and you would give them the answer. And I pray that you would help us see something of the significance of these events that you've recorded for us, to the end that we might appreciate more your word and the message of it. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The significance of Christ writing upon the ground. I've thought about this passage many, many times over the years when I would read it, and the question would come to my mind I wonder what in the world he wrote. Because the Bible doesn't really tell us what he wrote. But he wrote something. <clears throat> And whatever it was he wrote, it had enough of an impact to cause these accusers to walk away, beginning with the eldest, even to the youngest, and uh, changing their mind about what ought to happen to her. And so, I don't know about you, but this is just something that's characteristic of me when I read the Bible. I want to understand the significance of things. And so I hope that some of the thoughts that we're going to consider tonight will help us arrive at some measure of satisfaction as to what's going on here and what the Lord possibly even wrote. I don't know. But the Lord is a master at contrast. And he, uh, his teaching method oftentimes is by using contrasts. And, of course, one of the big problems was the Pharisees did not know his identity. And the uh, ministry of the Lord Jesus was to establish the fact that he was the God of the Old Testament that he was God manifest in the flesh. And of course, they didn't believe that. But that was his testimony. And as I was teaching the young people in chapel today, when the Lord came, he shrouded himself with proof concerning his identity. So much so that the burden is never on man to prove who Christ was or if he was real, Uh, if he was actually who he claimed to be, he did that himself. We don't have to prove anything. God proves it all. And this was the significance of what Luke uh, wrote in the book of Acts, because he's the author of the book of Acts as well as Luke's gospel. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 3, he made it very clear that when Jesus Christ came He came shrouded in evidence concerning his identity. And that's why it says that after his passion for 40 days, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. He did it. He proved his identity. We don't have to prove God. He proved who he was. And here he is doing something that really has to do with that very point, and that is that Jesus Christ was proving who he was. Now, a person who reads and studies the scriptures will be aware of the fact that, well, the significance of the, of the title of the book, Deuteronomy, uh, It means the second law, the second giving. That's what it really refers to. It carries the idea of two. And the reason is because in Exodus uh, chapter 20, and I think it's chapter 31, uh, we read about the first uh, giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Uh, written by the, with the finger of God. It tells us that in the 31st chapter of, of Exodus. It's actually verse 18, uh, where you read about the law being written with the finger of God. And the thing that I want to show you in the way of, of, of careful consideration of what we read in the New Testament And this proof of his identity is the use of that word finger. Because the Lord stoops down and writes with his finger on the ground. And I'm telling you, it's the Lord's way, once again, of of manifesting his identity. And you will also notice that there's another contrast here that's very, very interesting. So look at John chapter 8. And look with me at verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. But then we read in verse 7 that he lifted up himself. He stood up. And said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. But then look at verse 8. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Folks, can we not see that this is the Lord showing uh, that he's the same one who gave the law twice in the Old Testament? I believe that's the significance of it. The Lord stoops down a second time and writes on the ground because that's exactly what he did in the Old Testament. He gave the law to Moses on tablets of stone, and he broke the stone. He would have had to break the stone. He no doubt chiseled the stone. He broke it into pieces, So that the result was two tablets. And it tells you that. In Exodus chapter 31, that Moses was given two tablets. Well, how do you get two tablets? Well, if you have a stone, you break it. As a matter of fact, you tear it all to pieces until you have something that Moses could use, which happened to be two tablets of stone uh, that had the Ten Commandments on them. I think it's a picture of something in the Old Testament. And I think it parallels with what we find in John chapter 3 and verse 16, where we read that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son you see the death of christ was not because man killed him it's because god gave him to die god gave his son to die and and what what that looks toward in the breaking of a single stone which in the scripture is always a picture of christ he's always pictured as a stone a single stone But that stone was broken. We come in here to the church, and when we have communion, we have the bread and the plate, and when it comes in front of us, we look at all the little pieces. Folks, when we look at all those little pieces, we ought to be looking at what God the Father had to do to that stone to prepare it for the benefit of man And the law was given for man and not man for the law. God made that clear in Mark chapter 2, in the last two verses of that chapter. God gave the law for man because the primary thing was his love for man. And God so loved the world that he was willing to allow this to happen to his son, that he'd be broken into pieces much like we see symbolized in our communion service. Next time we have communion, I want you to think about this message, and I want you to think about these thoughts, because you see, there's a there's a practical thing here that I don't see how we could really miss when we think about it. How would you end up with two tablets? Well, it's very simple. Uh, you take a stone and you break it. And then you chisel it. You do whatever you have to do to get it to where it becomes a benefit for man. And I think that it really represents the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, those two tablets. This was God's love for us, that he would do this for us. And that the Lord Jesus, his son, would so love the will of the Father that he would be willing to do that and say, not my will, but thine be done I think these are things that we need to think about. Another thing that we realize when we read the Old Testament is that Moses, when he was coming down from the mount, he saw the people sinning, and he became angry, and he took the tablets of stone and he threw them down and he broke them. He broke them in pieces. That's also symbolic of something that is so true all throughout scriptures, and that is that we cannot keep the law. Moses was a type of man in that, point, in that particular case. There are different applications of Scripture and uh, spiritual significance is in so much of what is written there. Moses at, at some points is a, a type of Christ, but he's also a type of you and me. And Moses comes down, and what he's dealing with is all these people that he's supposed to be leading, and he's so furious with them, he he breaks the law himself. He becomes angry and throws them down. That was not a good thing, but God used it as symbolism of the fact that man cannot keep the law. <clears throat> and so he calls Moses back up on the mountain a second time. And that's what Deuteronomy is all about, if you haven't ever thought about these things before. There's been a time when I didn't know these things, and I came to this church and I learned these things that I'm teaching you right now. He comes up the second time. But this time, and I didn't point this out the first time, the first time... Uh, um, God uh, I think that's the way it goes God chiseled the stone the second time God told uh, Moses to chisel the stone and take two tablets back up there to him I wonder what the significance of that is I can tell you what it is It's because God wants us to enter into what happened to the Son of God. And so Moses was put in this predicament of having to break that rock in pieces and carve out those two tablets of stone, a broken body. And this is what we're supposed to do when we have communion up here. We're supposed to enter into our personal responsibility as to why he died And so there's two ways you need to think about that. First of all, God gave his son. The second way you need to think about it is we killed him. We're totally responsible for the broken body of Jesus Christ. And when that communion comes by, we need to think about these things. We're totally responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid down his life. It was not taken from him. He made that very clear. He allowed this to happen to him, but it was for the purpose of proving what the whole message of the Bible is, and that is we hate the truth. We hate it. And when love came into the world, we hated true love. We hated his truth because it was not what we wanted the truth to be. And so we crucified him. And so that's the significance of these things. Another thing I'd like to point out about the Old Testament, because it's full of, uh, of, of, of uh, symbolism and illustration. The first giving of the law, when God gave the tablets to Moses, um, that's representative of inspiration, inspiration. When he came up the second time, it's symbolic of preservation. It's very important to understand the significance of Deuteronomy and the second giving. And I'd like for you to turn with me, if you will, uh, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Just turn with me right quick to that. It won't take but a second because I want you to see this um, Let's see, Deuteronomy, if I can get my eyes on it here, Deuteronomy chapter 10, mm. and I want you to read with me at verse 1. At that time, the Lord said unto me, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And that's what I was pointing out to you, and know, I want I wanted to refresh my mind on it, that Moses was the one that, that chiseled the second tablets for the reason that I told you a while ago. We need to realize that we are the Ones that crucified Jesus Christ. Why? Because we hated him. He said that was the reason. And that's why he wanted Moses to do the hewing. And then he says, And come up unto me to the mount and make thee an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. Now, notice this carefully. And thou shalt put them in the ark. You need to write preservation right beside of that verse. Preservation, because that's what it represents. God has taken upon himself the full responsibility of inspiring his word and preserving his word. And so putting it in the ark is a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never broke the law. He was absolutely sinless. And that's what that is symbolic of. The fact that it was written with the finger of God, it doesn't say fingers. It says the finger of God. And we've learned in our church that the number one is the number of singular importance. And I'll tell you what the singular important thing is for us to remember in this church. There is not but one reference point. Look at this. One reference point when it comes to truth. It comes from God. All wisdom and knowledge and understanding comes from God. And with that one finger he wrote... The truth. How that we're to love Him. The first four commandments had to do with our love for God. The next six commandments had to do with our relationship with one another. All written by the finger of God. And this was the, actually, the fulfillment of the entire. Law, which was love, which we read about in Galatians chapter 5. Love is a word that fulfills the whole law of God. And as Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 13, if you do not have love, which is charity, the way it's expressed there, then anything else you think you have is absolutely nothing. In the mind of God. It means nothing. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how many verses you can quote or how much witnessing you do, how many old people you help here and there. Uh, a lot of people help other people to feel better about themselves, not because they really care about something and somebody and actually love them. And God says, If you want to be like I am, then you need to love people selflessly. And uh, so these are some of the thoughts that that come to my mind as I, I have studied these things. And so again, the first two tablets were chiseled by God. And the reason is because God gave his son. And that's the reason that God chiseled the first two tablets. God gave his son. The second time, it's very clear right here in this passage we read in Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 10, Moses was commanded to chisel the stones and bring them up to him. This was God's way of teaching us in the last days something of the spiritual significance of these things as we read them in the Old Testament. It's very important to read the scriptures and think very carefully about the reason for these things. The reason. Why was he called up there a second time? Why, Why was there a second giving? It's because God loves us more than we could ever know. He passionately wants us to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish and all come to repentance. And so the things that he has done, the way he has extended himself to this end, that we be saved, is, is amazing. There's none to compare to him, which is what I have thought of as the definition for the glory of God Every time I read the glory of God in the Bible, I I put in the place of the glory the word incomparable because I think that best explains how he's using the term. There's no one to compare to him. In his love, in his mercy, in his grace, in his long-suffering, all these attributes that God has given us concerning himself, there's no one to compare to him. You can't know him, as I was telling the kids in chapel today, you you can't know him without loving him. That's impossible. To truly know him is to love him. The other thing I want to point out to you, which becomes obvious even in our local language expressions, you've heard people say, well, you're not going to change that because it's written in stone. Well, that's something the Lord is revealing about himself. He said in Malachi, he said, I am the Lord. I change not. He said, do not add to my word. Do not diminish from my word. The only way in the world that that can be logically meaningful to anybody who reads, those, who reads the Bible is you have to believe that God not only inspires his word, but God himself preserves it with the same power and reason that he inspired it. The two terms are inseparably connected. It's critically important that we understand that. That's why we should never be ashamed of our defense of the King James Bible, because God himself has put it in his word that he's going to preserve his word, and you're not to change it, because it's written in stone. Well, this brings us to, I think, some insight, if you'll bear with me in trying to get this done in a reasonable amount of time tonight. I'm going to try to quit on time. Uh, the contrast between the Lord now using the same finger and he's not writing on stone. He's writing on the ground. wonder what the significance of that is. Asking that question is the key to understanding what's going on here. And we need to understand what's going on because it's important to God that we understand what's going on. <clears throat> well, the ground, you know, is in contrast to stone, is soft. It's soft. And this is what God is doing. He's not writing on stone, he's writing on something that's soft. Um He's writing with his finger, which again is a single source of truth. Uh, He made it clear that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the law. He owns the law. He defines the law. He's the one that teaches us how to apply the law. So God is not under the law. He is the law, the very author of the law. The Pharisees didn't understand that. They didn't understand the word Lord. That he's the controller of his word, the very author of what he writes and so forth, the very one who gives it definition and meaning. It's God. And so the Pharisees did not understand the law, and as a result, they were not applying it correctly. And that's very clear because they wanted this woman stoned to death. That was their understanding of the law. And to them it was written in stone. Boy, we can't change that. She deserves to die. But that's because he didn't understand the significance of the second giving. He didn't understand the significance of that law that cannot be changed being put in the ark which is Christ Jesus, for safekeeping, because he kept the law. Folks, if he had not kept the law, then he would not have been righteous. And if he was not righteous, then he could not uh, do what he did and pay our sin debt and give us as a free gift what we needed to go to heaven, which was his perfection. Perfection. That's the message of the cross of Calvary, is the gift of God. It's the fact that we can't keep the law, but he could, and he did. And being absolutely innocent, he was crucified. But his father knew that. He was absolutely innocent. His father knew that. But he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him by way of a gift. And so, how do we understand such things? Folks, it's beyond us to understand how a totally innocent person could all of a sudden become guilty in the mind of God. But God is the Lord. And when he says that he is innocent, then he's innocent. When he says, I'm without sin, then he's without sin. When the Bible says he was made sin for us, who knew no sin, that seems like a contradiction. How is that possible? How could it be made sin? Well, I'll tell you how. And this is God's message to us. He died as, on the cross as though he was us. Because we're the one with the problem. He didn't have a problem. We're the ones with the problem. And he died in our place. He sure did. He died in our place. And he made salvation available to us in the only form it's ever possible to have. The gift of God. Not of works. It's the gift of God. What can you do for it? Nothing. You can't do anything for it. But believe. That's all you can do. Believe. That's what Abraham found. And... Uh, Romans chapter 4. What did Abraham find? Well, he found how uh, having faith in God and the faith that he has in himself and what he promised that he would do, that that could be made righteousness in Abraham. He found that. He found out that he could never have enough faith to enter into eternal security. But he found that if he received the faith that God has in himself to do what he says he can do, because he knows what he can do, his faith is absolute in terms of what he can do. And this is what he said he can do. I can give you my righteousness, and all you have to do is believe it. Because that's all you can do is believe it. You have to believe that I'm not lying to you as the devil tried to believe, get Eve to believe that I'm a liar and that I would not surely die. Abraham found that he could believe God who is the author and finisher of our faith. Well, if he's the author and finisher of our faith, what was the faith that Abraham ended up with? Well, it was the faith that God had in himself. And that is all anybody in this church or the world needs to do to be saved, is to believe God. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. How simple is that? But that's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, The main thing that I want to impress upon you tonight is the significance of Christ writing upon the ground. Because when it comes to what is written on the stone, you cannot erase it. But what if you write on the ground? in the soft ground, and you just plow it, and you write something down there. Maybe he possibly wrote her sin down. Maybe he wrote down Leviticus. It's chapter 19 and verse 18, I think it is, that talks about what you do if you, what happens to a person that commits adultery. Well, what happens is you stone them to death. And that's what the Pharisees picked up on. But the Lord was able to do this right here. And that is erase that woman's sin. I believe that's the significance, at least in part, of the Lord riding on the ground as compared to him riding on stone. Folks, you can't erase what's written on stone, you cannot. But the whole message of the Bible is that the Lord can erase our sin. He can do that. He sure did, and he did it for that woman. He sure did. He erased her sin. Now, I want you to think about this with me. I think we got enough time to do this. If you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, there's some things in Hebrews chapter 10 that parallel with a lot of these thoughts that you're, Uh, hearing right now, Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading at verse 9, and I'll try to slow down and emphasize certain points because there's several verses here. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. To do thy will, O God. <clears throat> Above, when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure in them. That is us trying to do something to uh, atone for our sin. We couldn't do that. Which are offered by the law, that is the offering of bullocks and sheep and goats and so forth. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Now notice this. To take away the first, that he may establish the second. What's that referring to? Well, it's referring to Deuteronomy and the significance of Deuteronomy. Folks, when you enter into the significance of Deuteronomy and the ark being put safely in the ark, which is a type of Christ, then you can begin to understand the significance of the second giving. Because here was this woman taken in adultery, standing before the God, the creator of the universe, who wrote the tablets of stone in the Old Testament, and was now writing on the ground. And you know what? He was not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And he was not just a, an ordinary Pharisee. He was God. And here is God looking at this woman... And God is inspiring Paul in Hebrews to focus on this point that is in the Old Testament. The first giving of the law, written in stone. The second giving of the law, written in stone. But the second giving had to do with Moses first breaking that stone into two parts, chiseling it, until... You had a bunch of pieces laying down there, which would be foreshadowing what we did to the Lord Jesus Christ when we crucified him. And I'm telling you that the bread that is broken that we take in the communion service is a picture of those tablets and what had to be done to have those tablets. And Moses was told by God, you chisel it. The first time, it represents God giving his son. The second time, it's us killing him. It's us and our guilt for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's what it symbolizes. And so here the Apostle Paul is focusing on that one point. He taketh away the first, in verse 9, that he may establish the second. Well, what is the establishment of the second? Well, it's Christ died on Calvary's cross for you and me because he loves us, and that's the reason for it. Verse 10, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This is what Moses found. I mean not Moses but Abraham. This is what Abraham found. What did he find? He found this right here. Verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he... Uh, he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. And notice what he says. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. I'll write them. God writes his law In fleshly tables, fleshly tables, he writes them in our heart. And he says, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Because he died in our place. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, an evil conscience. Now, we're getting almost finished here. But I want to focus once again on some things that are said in the Old Testament. And how that even in the Old Testament, the Lord was alluding in the language of the Old Testament, writing upon the ground. And I want to carefully try to explain to you that the ground is symbolic. Of something. And uh, you find out what it is by studying Luke chapter 15. And I'm just going to give you this verse. It says, but that on good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. And bring forth fruit with patience. And so the Lord is helping us to understand the answer to our question. What does this mean when you write on the ground? What, what is that? Well, the disciples came to him concerning the parable of the sower. And they said, Lord, we don't know what that meant. What does that mean? And he took the disciples aside privately and explained it to them. And he told them plainly that the seed is the word of God. And he goes on to explain in the last part of the parable of the sower what the ground was. And he said, it's the heart. It's the heart. The Lord stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Because God has written his law in our hearts. And he's telling us Okay, if I write it on the ground and not in stone, guess what I can do? I can make it go away. I can erase the sin. I can do that. And the reason I can do that is because I died in your place on Calvary's cross. And I will remember your sin no more. Folks, this is the Lord helping us understand the significance of the Lord Jesus writing on the ground. And remember, he stooped down a second time. He stooped down a second time. How can somebody read that and not see the connection with Deuteronomy? I don't see how we I don't see how I didn't see it for years. I never thought about it before. But when I was studying this message, which I've had on my mind for weeks and weeks. I've been thinking about this thing, trying to understand something that I've wanted to understand better for a long time. And I think that these thoughts, I'm sure that there are many things that could be said uh, in addition to what is being said right now, but I really do believe that this begins to crack the door at least into the significance of what is going on here. In um, the Old Testament, I was going to mention this to you, in the Old Testament, the Lord uh, actually uh, gave us a hint as to where this was all going, the second giving of the law. And if you were to take the time, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3 says this, and I'll just tell you what it says. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thy heart, of thine heart, the table of thine heart. That's the ground. God defined it. In the New Testament, the ground is symbolic of the human heart. And God will write His Word upon your heart. And you know what? When He does, it's forever. It's forever. It's absolutely forever. It's as eternal as though it was written in stone, the same finger that wrote it in stone, writes upon the table of our heart. And in the New Testament, we're seeing this explained by writing on the ground and the Lord explaining to the disciples the parable of the sower. And he said it very plainly. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart Having heard the word, keep it. And then in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, it says, Keep my commandments and live. And my law as the apple of thine eye, bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. How are you going to do that? Well, memorizing. I think it's very important to try to memorize scripture. I think it's very important to read the Bible and just keep on reading and keep on reading and meeting with God every day and studying His Word because what will happen is it'll get written on your heart in such a way that when you're walking around doing other things, you'll be thinking about it. And all of a sudden, you'll discover that things will all of a sudden begin to make sense and you don't even... Realize sometimes that it's happening to you, but it it does, it happens to you, and all of a sudden, here a little, there, a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, things begin to come together, that is, the pieces, until you see the puzzle and the big picture of what's going on, and I think this is the value of coming to this church and studying the scriptures together is to see the big picture. Um, The last two things I want to mention to you, if you'll turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19, and I'll close with this. Leviticus chapter 19. I do not know if this is what the Lord wrote, but I know that he didn't write down some New Testament law because he was dealing with Pharisees. He was dealing with lawyers and people who were familiar with the Old Testament and had memorized the Old Testament, many of them, they knew it. And so in Leviticus chapter 19, reading at verse 17... It says this, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. That's the law. That's the law of God. Now look at chapter 20. Just turn over a page and look at chapter 20. And I want to show you something here that maybe caused all of those Pharisees to walk away, beginning at the eldest, even to the left, at least. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what he actually wrote. But it wouldn't surprise me if he hadn't written down something like Leviticus chapter 20, In verse 10, look at it. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Wow. Well, guess what? In the scene in John's Gospel, chapter eight, there's no man there. He's just a woman. Well, how can you have an adulteress without having an adulterer? And the law was that both were to be put to death. Well, I would imagine when those Pharisees got to thinking about that, well, wow, Uh, we've fallen short here in our investigation, because we hadn't brought the man. And of course, in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord made it very clear, and of course that was not in the law where they would have known it, but he did tell them this, because he was talking to the Pharisees when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if a man looks on a woman... To lust after her. He has committed adultery already in his heart. Now I don't think that you find that specifically in the Old Testament. I kind of look for it, but it's certainly implied in all of this. It's implied. Well, I don't know Um, we're going to stop right here. There are just all kinds of things that could be said about this passage, but I I hope that you will remember some of these points uh, in your future reading and studying of God's Word. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this uh, place that you have invited us to come to, knowing that you're the host, this is really your house, Uh, you're the host of this meeting, your presence is with us, if we'll just simply believe your word and 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 acknowledge the the oneness between the father and the son and the holy spirit it's a great sin to come into this house and fail to realize that god is, is god is present with us every time and we ought to be humbled in our hearts when we think about it that you would actually invite us here to sit at your feet, as it were, to hear your word, so that we might understand this precious gospel message that you have given us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.